Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, uh, we're doing verses 1 through 5. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Lord, we come before you with your word and we ask this morning that we would walk away encouraged and unified and given understanding in Christ Jesus. And we ask that uh, you would go ahead and, and re- undo and, and undermine and disassemble, deconstruct all that the enemy is seeking to do within our lives this morning. And I, I specifically lift up those who are discouraged this morning, discouraged in their walk, discouraged in their lives. Lord, I ask that you would reach to them. You would encourage them this morning. Give them ears to hear what your word would say. Wake us up to the, uh, the plan of the devil for us. But more importantly, Lord, wake us up to the plan that your spirit has for us in Christ Jesus. And so we give you our time, we give you our lives, and Lord, we pray that this word would land on on soft soil and would produce much fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Paul, first of all, he says in verse 1, he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Paul's in Rome, and he's in prison, and he's writing to someone thousands of miles away that he's never met. Anybody remember the days of pen pals? He's pen paling it. Remember that? Communicating with someone via paper, waiting for several months to get something returned, and they would return a letter to you. And it was a very slow form of communication. But Paul is basically writing to them and saying, Man, I am agonizing over what is going on in your life. And that word contending is agonizing. The idea was the Roman games or the Greek games where they would get into the Colosseum and they would have all the games around them. There was a contest and there was a contending and there was agonizing that was going on. Paul saying, I am agonizing daily over what's going on in your life because false teachers were jumping into uh, those cities that Paul established churches and trying to pervert the gospel, to pull them away from simple faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing this letter. He's going to... Uh, Put it, put it in the hands of a guy named Tychicus, who's going to take that letter, give it to the Colossians, and, and then also one to the Laodiceans, kind of like Milton Freewater, Walla Walla. And they're going to pass those things back and forth, right, until things happen to where uh, they're all edified. And so a guy named Epaphras was the one who originally brought them to Christ. And he came to Rome and he told them, hey, this is what's going on in the city. And can you imagine not having technology, not having the internet, Facebook, texting, uh, social media, anything like that, and trying to communicate with someone far away? What would that be like? Many of us understand what that's like. But imagine what that is like, not being able to pick up the phone and say, how are you guys doing? And so he contends, he's, he's wrestling in prayer, he's wrestling in the word, he's writing out his passions down on paper and he's handing it out. 
And he's wait, has this long periods of waiting. And hopefully the enemy isn't getting in there and messing things up. But he wants them to know. He's writing to people he's never seen. He's writing to people he's never seen. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you in prison and prayer. Amen. And he says, and here's his goal. Verse 2. If you don't want to know someone, you kind of want to know what they're up to, why they're doing what they're doing. How many of us uh, have been following political stuff lately? <clears throat> Those of you who are shaking your head, no, you're blessed. <laughs> you aren't missing much. <clears throat> Amen. But they're constantly telling what their intentions are for us. Amen? Oh, we're going to build you a bridge. We're going to, you know, cure, you know, death. They're just, I mean, they're just, they're throwing tons of stuff at you. And, and it's good to know when you're, when you're looking at these people whether they're truly going to do it or not. And Paul wants to lay his intentions out right away. Because one of the things about false teachers and false prophets is they're not true with their intentions. They're not true with their intentions. You ever had a salesman try to sell you something? They really have something else they're trying to do to you and for you. And it's really, whose who's profit is it really for? Generally, it's for their profit, correct? The reason why they're doing is a selfish motivation. There's nothing wrong with sales, but I'm saying that when someone's trying to sell you something that's not good, their problem is they're, they're selfish. They're trying to get you up on something. And Paul's saying, I want you to know up front what my motives are. And he says, this is my goal. My goal is that these people that I'm writing to you and the church next to you uh, in the next city over would be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And Paul does this crazy run-on sentence. And, and, and I'm just looking at this. As I was reading this, I'm going, Lord, I have to teach on this. Why didn't you have Paul like, be a little more clear? I want you to be encouraged and united so that they may have the full riches in order that. And I'm like, oh, great. You have to have like, a, a flow chart to figure out what Paul's talking about. And you read that and go, what is he saying? Anyone? Okay, just me. So this is for me this morning. But Paul says, I want four things to happen. Why I'm agonizing. Why I am wrestling for you. And he says, I want these four things to happen in your life. And here they are. Ready, church? He wants you to be encouraged in your heart. How many of you are discouraged in your heart this morning? He wants you to be united in love. How many of you are divided this morning? Have divisions going on in your life? He wants you to have complete understanding. How many of you feel like you just don't know anything? <laughs> yeah, and those of you who do know at all, be careful. And he wants you to have knowledge of Jesus, not just understanding, but knowledge of Jesus. How many of you feel like you could grow in your, in your understanding of Jesus? Me too, absolutely. And so Paul says, this is what I'm aiming at. The reason why I'm writing, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, these are the things that I want to see happen in your life. And those are great intentions, don't you believe? Now, to help me understand a little bit more about what these mean is, I think that as I was thinking about how to explain this and how important these things are for us as followers of Jesus, I thought of the opposite of these goals. I thought of the opposite of what Paul intends. And, and, and as I look at the opposite of those four things, the opposite of encouragement, the opposite of unity, the opposite of understanding, and the opposite of knowing Jesus, 
That's really the enemy's game plan for us as a church. Would you not agree? That's, that's what he is working at 24 hours a day, seven days a week, through the fallen world, through the culture around us, through our stupid flesh, to work out within us those, the opposite. And so while God desires our encouragement, Satan seeks to what? Discourage, Discourage us. How many of you are discouraged Christians? You know, encouragement is an interesting word in the Greek. It's a perikaleo. And it means to come to one's side to comfort or to admonish or to exhort. It can be translated any one of those things. To comfort, to admonish, or to exhort. But you're coming alongside someone to, and I would just sum up all those, spur them on. To spur them on. To bring comfort, but to move them towards, to keep them going. Amen? That's really what encouraging is. Come on, you can do it. Let's go. Ah, you know, this is really hard. It's going on in your life, but this is the truth, and let's keep marching. And really, that's, and I kind of equate it with coaching in my mind. But it can be translated that, and I just kind of view it as spurring on. Similarly, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our helper or our advocate in John 14, 26. It says, uh, but the advocate... That word, or helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He's going to teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The word for advocate there is parakletos. Remember parakleo? I know you need to know this stuff. But para means with, right? And, the, and there's these different words. And so uh, this one word for helper is kind of the word for the lawyer. The, the Holy Spirit's going to be your lawyer. That's pretty cool to have God as your lawyer. He's going to come and defend you. You know, I was thinking of the word parachute. It's French. Don't hold this against me. But it's, it means, para means, again, or to defend. And shoot means fall. To get, defend against the fall. And you have paralegal, someone who helps a lawyer. Well, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and he pleads your case. When the enemy comes and, and, he, and he calls out all these things that you've blown it in. The Holy Spirit comes along your side and he encourages you. Aren't you so glad to know that today that God has the Holy Spirit who is encouraging you today? And we know that, the Holy, that, that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father defending us against the accusations of the devil because we're in Christ Jesus. We're clean. We're good. So Paul's like a coach, nevertheless. He's coming and he's contending them. He's fighting for them. He's defending them. He's coming alongside of them against the enemy of their soul. And so Paul's goal is to encourage them in their heart. And Satan this morning desires to discourage you. He really works us over in the area of discouragement. Discouragement often comes through criticism and threats. You ever had that? Criticism and threats. Not constructive criticism that's meant to build you up, but just plain old criticism. Not warnings, because we're going down a dumb path, but threats. Nehemiah experienced this when he was called by God to rebuild the temple. And he had this discouragement happening from the outside when uh, Sanballat, this guy, this local, local guy, started criticizing everything he was doing, calling out threats to him, his very life. <laughs> Nehemiah responded by seeking the Lord and by praying 
You overcome discouragement through prayer. And then by picking up and putting your eyes back on what God has called you to do and to be. You notice discouragement comes when you're actually doing something. When you're stepping out for the kingdom of God, when you're actually beginning to do something, you're beginning to make waves, you're beginning to push against, and it's all of a sudden you get the naysayers and everybody's telling you you can't do this and that. You ever, anybody ever experienced that? It's usually not when you're sitting alone on your couch. Well, maybe. But usually when you're actually moving out, right? Discouragement is a tool in the hand of the enemy which is designed designed to stop you from being effective in the kingdom of God. How many of you pray and you pray a couple prayers and nothing happens and you get discouraged? And then nothing happens. What we don't know sometimes is you read Daniel, there's a spiritual war going on. And sometimes it takes time for things to work out in God's plan. Don't be discouraged, friends. God's at work. He loves you. He's working things out for His glory and His good. The discouragement leads to withdrawal and to stagnation and depression. You know, and ultimately, a discouraged believer is rendered ineffective for Christ. You're, so you're sidelined. You're no good. It's not saying you're not worth anything, but you're not doing anything for the kingdom. Amen? Because the focus has now come off of Christ and it's been put on what? me. And let me tell you, that's a very depressing thing when I'm looking at me. But when I look to Jesus, all my heart is encouraged. Because he's the one, when I step out of the boat and I begin to fall, he's the one who grabs me and lifts me up. And he might say, oh, you have little faith. But his reasons for speaking those words to my heart is so that I would have more. While the enemy says, oh, you're dummy, you sunk. But I got out of the boat. That's right. I'm constantly under discouragement. How many of you struggle with discouragement? I do. The enemy attacks me in the realm of my emotions. That's where he works with me. I get uh, discouraged or angry and those types of things. That's how, that's how he works on me. Some of you don't, don't have those areas. We've we got something for you this morning. Don't worry. <laughs> Someone said last week, uh, equal opportunity offender, right? But discouragement is, is something that I've found comes quick when I get my mind and my heart off of Jesus and onto my circumstances, on myself, or onto you. Amen? You know, that's very difficult. As I mentioned, Nehemiah, he battled discouragement. But through prayer and by getting refocused on the Lord and God's purpose for his life, which is what he created you and put you here for, then you begin to have energy and you begin to have joy and you begin to have encouragement in your heart. And Paul was coming alongside knowing that following Christ is a battle. Every day, the enemy just wants to smack you down. And the Lord wants you to reckon yourself dead so he can lift you up and fill him with himself. Amen? But Satan seeks to discourage us and God seeks to encourage you, to come alongside you and to build you up in the truth. Not say everybody gets a trophy, but to speak truth and love and to really build you up in the things of the Lord, the things of the Spirit. And sometimes that encouragement comes with admonishment. It comes with warning. Amen? 
How many of us just want, oh, it's okay, just keep going? No, a coach comes along and says, you're going to keep hitting your head against that wall like that. You're going to break your neck. You need to do this. Can I show you how to do it? Can I create a circumstance? Can I walk through you with it? Let's go. And he helps guide and encourage. And same with the coach. The coach needs help as well because he doesn't know everything. And so the Lord would have us be encouraged this morning. Second thing Paul says was that the church, he wanted them to be united in love, unified in love. Unity and love. Agape is the word there. I know I'm speaking Greek, but agape is, is literally, it's the word. There's different words for love in Greek. Agape is God's sacrificial love. I don't sacrificially love my cat. Well, I kind of sometimes. But I'm just saying, <clears throat> yes, I will feed you when I don't want to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's a different kind of love. And, and the Greek parses that out where we have in English that one word for love. And so the, the love that we're to be united with is not the world's love. It's not a sensual love. It's not even a brotherly love. It's a sacrificial love, which was demonstrated in Christ on the cross. For God so loved us while we were yet sinners that he gave his only son and he died for us. Not based upon what we could do for him or what I have done for him, but because of his sacrificial love for us. It's a one-sided love. But agape is what we're to be united in, a sacrificial life of love towards one another. And the, and the Lord would have us uh, be sacrificial in our lives towards one another. I think one of the greatest illustrations that the Lord gives us about that sacrificial love and how it's supposed to work is in marriage between a man and a woman. God designed it and he said, this is how that sacrificial, this is how unity is supposed to happen. The key is unity, right? How does unity happen? Paul gives, the Lord gives us two great keys to a healthy and awesome marriage. You ready? Wives submit, husbands love. There they are. God says, you do those two things and you are gonna have an awesome marriage. Yes, there's a lot of other things, but in general, Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Key phrase there. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He died for her, right? He laid down his life. You do those two things and that's going to be a great marriage. So simple. Amen? That's it. We're good. Marriage 101. Check. And so when we get together, marriages aren't going right. What am I looking for? Are you submitting to your husband? Are you loving your wife? Agape, not based upon what the other does, but sacrificially for their betterment. Boy, that takes an act of God, doesn't it? That's not a human love, is it? That's a God love. And that's what he wants to work in and through our marriages. And let me tell you, I'm victorious every day in that. <clears throat> Christine, you can leave now. <laughs> yeah, there's so much divorce in the church, amen? It's commonplace. There's, there's division. We, we fail as human beings, amen? And even in that, God has great mercy for us. But if the Lord desires uh, us to be unified in love, that sacrificial love, what do you think Satan's goal is? If, he, if, if God's goal is for unity in love, what is Satan's goal? Division. Division. You know, Satan desires division. 
Division in the body of Christ comes from a lack of Christ-like humility and a lack of love and ultimately not being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? You can trace back division within the church to someone or a group of people not being connected to Christ. Because when you're connected to Christ and you're filled with His Word, you're filled with His love, there's going to be unity in the Spirit with other believers. You're going to have something called koinonia, a sweet fellowship of the soul, a sacrificial love, where <clears throat> the reason why you go to church is not for you. The reason why you go to home fellowship is not for you. It's so you can bless others. How I long to use what God's given me for you. And how I long to receive what God has given you for me. I'm not complete in myself. I am not my own tower. I'm part of a body. And how we need one another, but we need to be united in love towards one another. And so Satan desires to divide us. Now, I have to say that division can be really healthy in a church. Do you know that? Division is necessary at times. Over two areas that, I, that come to mind immediately, one is over doctrine, and other is over unconfessed, unrepented sin. In other words, <clears throat> I don't want to have, uh, we can't have unity if we see Christ differently. In other words, if one of you says that Jesus is not God, and he didn't rise from the dead, and uh, he didn't pay for sins, and all that type of stuff, there is no unity in that. We are unified in the gospel, in, in Christ. Does that make sense? So there are things to divide over within, the, within Christ. In other words, false teaching that's embraced uh, unknowingly, we can work with. Amen? We, we take time and we train. And we, and that, how many of you had a perfect understanding of God when you first came to him? My gosh, I still know nothing. You know, you guys are going, oh, no. But I mean, really, the more you learn, the more you, the more you go, I need you, Lord, right? And so as we are going down that, that road together, uh, we run into these doctrines. Well, when those doctrines are, are hunkered in and there's someone in the body who says, listen, I'm just, I'm not holding to that. I'm not going to hold to that. That person needs to be moved on. Amen? And then there's other areas of, of unrepentant, unconfessed sin. Sin is a cancer. I don't hang around with cancer for very long. What do you want to do? It's very interesting. When I was diagnosed with cancer in June, you know, you know how, how many of you try to get like an appointment with a doctor? It's hard. They're busy people. There's a lot of sick people, right? And, and, and they've got schedules that are, are packed full of people who are hurting. But what, what happens is when you've got something really serious, what happens? You, go, you usually go to the front of the line. You can get in pretty quick, usually. And that's kind of what happened to me. It was streamlined, and I had surgery within like a week and a half. I mean, they just don't mess around with stuff like that. You know, you walk into uh, a situation in the hospital, and you're like, hey, yeah, I'm having chest pains and all that stuff. Like, oh, yeah, we'll get an appointment for you. No, they're, they're grabbing you, and they're knowing that this is a serious situation. So unconfessed, unrepented sin, in other words, a willful disobedience over a prolonged period of time, the Lord says that's a good thing to cut off. Because it's going to affect everybody else around you. It's going to affect how we are. And it's going to say, hey, this is something that you can go ahead and do. And I, if I see them doing it, why can't I do it? Now, we want to be patient and long-suffering and help people grow and things. So I don't want to think as soon as it happens, you kill them. But the example 
in scripture, I think he says in several, uh, several areas, specifically like the, uh, I forgot which verse it is, but it says, uh, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate it with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slandered or drunkard or swindler. Don't even eat with such people. So Paul lays that out. He says, cut them off. So there's a good time for division within the church. We don't want to jump to that because we want it. We all know we're growing. Amen. But if there's a heart that says, I'm just, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to continue to do this. And brothers and sisters come alongside of them for a period of time. Matthew 18, you bring one person, then two people, then three people, then the whole church, then it's goodbye. And that could be over a period of 18 months or it could be a period over a few weeks, depending on what's going on. And we need to have discernment of the Lord. But that's not our, so there is division that's good. And, and so we just need to know that. But to embrace false doctrine and to willfully continue in sin are reasons for good division. And those, I would say, are matters of principle. Now, here's two words I'm going to give you, principle and practice. Okay, good for you to know. Principle and practice. <clears throat> matters and principle are non-negotiable. We don't no- negotiate whether or not Jesus Christ is Savior or rose from the dead or is God. We just don't negotiate with those things. We can explain if someone truly has questions. Amen? But if someone's taking a willful stand against those things, we don't. We don't, we don't compromise on matters of principle. Truth does not get compromised. Amen? We conform to the truth as a church. But if the enemy can't divide us on principle, guess what he's going to divide us on? He's going to divide us on practice or preference. How many of you have a preference about things? Oh boy, do we have preferences as Christians. The music is too loud, it's too soft. It's not playing upbeat, we're not jumping and hitting the walls, there aren't strobe lights, there needs to be less strobe lights. I want hymns, I don't want hymns. No instruments, I want instruments. Youth pastor, what's your thoughts? Begin. We've got tons of different things, right, about preference. You know, the scripture really doesn't have anything about youth pastor in scripture. It actually does. The, the definition for youth pastor is called a parent. Amen? You are the youth pastor. Does that make sense? That's biblical. Secondly, what happens to parents who don't know the Lord? Well, it would be great to have someone to be able to connect with their youth or kids that don't know the Lord. So there's a lot of reasons why we can do that. But preference, you know, ideally want to have parents disciple their kids, amen? But secondly, we realize that that ideal is not always met. And we want to reach out and help equip parents, but also provide an opportunity for all these other scenarios that are going on. And how we do that is called a preference. We want to line up to Scripture the best we can. Now, Jesus has preferences, and when they're in Scripture, we follow them, but quite often he's silent on certain things, amen? And so when he's silent, we just have to get unity within the Spirit. We have to pray over things, seek things. We, we work off our principles, right? But how that looks can look different according to each church and how it works out. I know I'm speaking in vague materials, but just take, for example, the nursery project. We said, you know what? We are going to upgrade our nursery because we want to reach out and minister to families. When families walk in, we want their kids to have a great place to be. That, we believe that that shows love and it shows 
care in just a very practical way for people. And that's why we're upgrading the rooms. And so I went to Carol Henry. I said, okay, Carol, uh, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some parameters. Here are the parameters. I want it new. I want it safe. I want it fun. Begin. Go grab your team. Do things. And they talked back and forth. Believe me, I heard all the preferences that were going on in that discussion. There was a lot of preferences. Amen? Colors. They had 15 different colors on the walls and all this stuff. And there was frustration sometimes and sometimes not. Doesn't that happen in family? But is that a reason for division? Oh, but it so is when we're self-centered. When we're not in the spirit. Amen? How quick we are to do that. You know, when we get in situations like that, it really gives us, it really shows us a lot about ourselves, our maturity level. Amen? Are we united in love that is showing our brothers and sisters preference above our own in circumstances like that? Letting it go? esteeming one another's needs above our own. Now, I'm not saying decisions aren't made and there aren't times to do things and leaders to lead, amen? But think about it. With a youth pastor, what did, what did the elders do? We came to you and we asked, and we're asking. It's not that we, we don't have a, a general idea of where we're going, but we want to give preference. We want to show love. We want to hear things. We want to see what the Holy Spirit would speak through you guys and, and see if there's areas of, that would, the Lord would use. Amen? You know, see, the enemy, he just loves to get in there and make you feel like you weren't heard. Like you didn't get your way or whatever. Any of you felt like that? In marriage? In the church? And then you get what? Discouraged. And what do you say then? Ah, forget it. Let them do it. See you later. I'm out of here. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do. And he's playing off of your immaturity. You're immature if you do that. I've done it all the time. I do it constantly. And I know that. Still, I do it. Wretched man that I am. The Lord needs to change that in us. Amen? Grow us up. Learn how to love deeper than just those preferential things. He wants to get you discouraged and isolate you from people. And then the body, guess what? The body suffers because you're no longer connected to it. You see how that works? And he got you all huffed up about a paint color or whatever it might be. (laughs) And we all suffer because you're not around. You're not here. We're not connected. And there's just this unsaid, oh, no. Instead of really talking it out and saying, hey, you know what? I was hurt when this decision was made. I know it's immature, but can you pray for me and work? Can we get this right? That strikes at pride. You know, we sh- we, the fact is we shouldn't be divided over those things, those things like that, but we are. Amen? We are. So Philippians 2, this is a good one. Just read the whole chapter. I'll just read a couple of verses. It says, in this, uh, this way about this, it says... Uh, Verse 1, Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion that make my joy complete by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one of, one of mind. Okay, now he gives you the principle. Now, how does that actually work out? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or a vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to each of you to the interest of the other. Boy, that's hard. Doesn't that cut the whole, the, the, the whole core of me? The kingdom of Matt? Because I want to rule in all scenarios, amen? And Jesus says, submit to one another. And so, you know, I want it to look great in the nursery. I want it to look great around here. And I'm learning to, to try to let things go. But it's, it's a struggle to learn that. I'm still learning, amen? Paul wants to encourage them in their hearts, to come alongside of them, to unify them in love. And that word for unify is to knit together, to take two things that are separate and make them one. And that's what the Lord wants to do with you, with the people in this room. He wants to unify you in His kingdom and His purposes. You know, division can be a work of the enemy, but the Lord desires the unity of love, agape love, that self-sacrificing love. This is why before we begin things, we want to take our hearts and bow before the King. Before we do worship practice, we, we're in prayer in the Word. Before we have a service, we pray and we're in the Word. Before we meet, we are in the pray and we're in the Word. We just want to, we want to give the Lord a chance to get us out of our flesh. Amen? So that we will have the Spirit and be united when we come to make decisions for Jesus. So that in what we do, we reflect unity and we reflect love. Amen? You know, prayerlessness and wordlessness make room for division. And so Paul wants to encourage them in their heart, unify them love, and then give them complete understanding with our remaining 10 minutes here. We just want to talk about that part. The full riches of complete understanding that we may know the mystery, namely Christ. God desires that his people have a full understanding of the Lord and his ways. That's really important. He wants to give you full understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to know who he is. God wants your mind, our minds, to be fixed on him in such a way that you feed off of everything he says. That you fully understand and know Christ it, to know him is your greatest desire. Is knowing Christ this morning your greatest desire? And if it isn't, I would encourage you, I would exhort you, see that? To call out to him and say, Lord, you aren't. Create in me that desire. Do something that isn't there. And as we heard last week with, with Karen, as we heard with Marcus, God will do it. That's what he desires to do. But see, God is a God of love, and love is an option. Love is, love is a response. Amen? It's a choice. And so Paul is sitting here. I want you to have full knowledge. I want you to know Christ fully. It's really important to know, not just know about him, but to know him a lot of people have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they don't, have, they don't know Jesus personally. Amen? They know a lot of churchy stuff, but they don't know Jesus. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, to know God and to know Jesus 
is to have eternal life. The word for know is gnosko, and it's the word which means to intimate knowledge, and they use it in, in physical relations between husband and wife in the original language. In other words, to intimately know in every way Jesus Christ. So obviously taking a spiritual analogy, in, uh, a physical analogy, and it's spiritual. To intimately know God and his son Jesus is to have eternal life. Do you know Jesus intimately this morning? There are a lot of people who go to church. And in this morning, there might be some of you in here. You don't know Jesus. You know about him. You know, you know, but, you're, but you don't know him in your heart. He's something you, you appease to or you do. But you're not hearing from him. You don't know his voice. You don't know his word. You don't know his spirit. You've never heard him call to you. He's created you for that. Do you know that? And it's there for you. And, and while the enemy would take this opportunity to say, yeah, you don't know him. Get lost. Be discouraged. Goodbye. The Lord would say, come on. My arms are open wide. I've made the way. Step out. Amen. Which voice are you going to listen to? It's okay. I think one of, the, one of the most difficult things is being a leader and having to pretend like you know something when you don't. That's called hypocrisy. I've been there. I fall into it from time to time because of the pressures of pleasing men. But let me tell you, what's really great is when you honestly are saying, Lord, I don't know. I'm not all that. I should be. I've been this far along in the program I've been going to church for this long, but I don't know you. Can we start over? And it's sweet. And you just see the Lord's arms wrap around you. And people come around you, encourage you, and go, oh, man. And when you see that breakthrough in someone's life, what does it do to someone else who has all their religious walls up? They go, oh, you mean I don't have to be a Pharisee? Oh, thank you. Because he didn't intend you for that burden. It had to come from the inside. That's what he longs to do with you. You know, Romans 12.2. No, but let me, let me say this real quickly. I wrote this down. Do you know Jesus intimately? There are a lot of people, like I said, who go to church but do not know Jesus intimately. They don't know God. Let me ask you, has your knowledge of God, has it changed your life? Has it changed how you act? Has it changed what you do? Has your life reprioritized? Has it transformed you by knowing Jesus? If you haven't been transformed, but you've been churched, my guess is you're not saved. And it's just so serious. Because Paul says, I want you to know the full assurance. When you know Jesus, you know Jesus. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have you been transformed in your thinking, in your mind, by knowing Jesus Christ? So growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is of utmost importance for us believers. This means in order to be encouraged in our hearts and to be unified in love in one another, we have to understand what in the world we're to be unified in, what we're to do. Amen? And how many of you just feel like, I just go to church, but I don't know how to live this thing out. And then you don't want to tell anybody because I've been going to church for a while. You know what I mean? Anybody? Let's get over that, man. We love you. Don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. If you feel like 
you're just a little kid, but you got this big veneer, then break it down. Let the Spirit come in and, and fill you anew. Don't live in that, under that bondage and that weight anymore. Come and be like a little child and say, Jesus, I don't know, help. And He will. He'll run to you. He'll grab you and lift you up and build you up. Amen? He's calling you. And so we read our Bibles daily to know Jesus, right? We study our Bibles to know Jesus, amen? We don't look at the Bible just to get head knowledge. It's pointing to a person. We commit to being in the Word of God together during the week to know Jesus, amen? We ask questions about Him. We take notes so that we remember Him. We listen to sermons online to hear Him speak. We fill our minds and hearts with understanding concerning Jesus. That's what we're preoccupied with as believers. We're the king, in whom has all the wisdom and knowledge. Why are we going to anything else? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why would we do that? Let's go to him. You know, so you would know the mystery, Paul says. That mystery is a mysterion. It means you wouldn't know him unless he revealed himself to you. It's hidden. And you see the gospel comes into this room or it comes into your heart, it comes into a conversation and you start feeling that tug. And this is the gospel that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you know it in your heart. You know you've blown it. You know you've messed up. You know you can't fix yourself. You've tried all these things, whatever it might be. And God says the problem is you need to be made new in your heart. You need to be made brand new. And this is the gospel that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. He took your place. In other words, God's wrath was against you. And you deserved it. God's wrath was against me. But I said, oh Lord, help. God, save me. Forgive me. And what happens? Jesus died on the cross and he took my place. He experienced the wrath that I should have had. And now I experience the life that he had. Amen? So God wants to make you brand new. And that's what the word points to. That's what the gospel comes in. So God reveals himself to you through the gospel. And if that's you this morning, surrender. That's the Holy That's a mystery being re- revealed to you. And it's a mystery and it's kind of like a light. It's dark and you see this glimmer and it's pulling on your heart. And all of a sudden you say yes to the Lord. And what happens? He flips open the light and light happens in your life. And all of a sudden all the keys to knowing him and following him are, are being unlocked before you. And all the fullness and the richness of following Jesus just starts. And there's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And the, the old things are falling off. Not because you went through this program and you did this. But because you got a new nature. You're changed from the inside out. And the old things have passed away. And they just slowly start fall, falling off as you put your eyes on Jesus. And that's what it is to be born again. Are you born again? And so the Lord wants you to know him he wants you to have understanding he wants you to have understanding of him and I want to end right there because there's some important things we're going to get into next week church if you're discouraged this morning do you know that you're king of kings and you're lord of lords he already knows what's going on in your life this week. He already knows your failures. He already knows that person is bugging you, all that stuff, or whatever it might be. And guess where he's seated? 
He's seated above all dominions, powers, principalities. He's seated above all. And your problems are beneath him. Which tells me that he has the authority to make things right in your life. He's got it. And this is the thing. Jesus died on the cross not so that you would jump through 50 different hoops so that God would accept you, but so that you become like a little his little kid and you can bust into the throne room at any time. You know, it's very interesting. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a busy person. I think a lot of people are busy. I have calls. I have things coming in. And, and just to tell you the truth, I probably don't answer. If I'm in a meeting with someone, I, do, I don't answer a call with someone from you guys, right? Because I'm having discussion. But usually, if Christine or one of the kids is, is calling in, what, what needs to happen? Can you hold on? <laughs> you got access through relationship. You have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's not too busy for you. He's there. The thing is, is will you run to him? Will you call out to him? Do you receive him? So let's pray. Lord, we lift up this morning to you. We lift up the gospel. I pray that if any heart in here does not know you, that they would call out to you. They would say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again on the third day that I too would raise with him. And I repent for my sin. I turn from it now and I turn to you and I lay down that old life for the new. If that's you, call that out from your heart to the Lord and the Lord will answer you. Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that you are saved. And in no way will God cast you out. But that belief continues day after day. That belief is a lifestyle now. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to talk with me after the service. And for the rest of us, Lord, would you just encourage us this morning? Would you unify us in love? Would you show us our immaturity and where we need to grow and, and remind us of all the resources that are in you? When we come to the end of ourselves, Lord, I pray that we would just find the ocean of your resources that we need. And so, Lord, instead of just immediately looking to us for the solutions, Lord, that we would look to you, the author and the finish of our faith, Lord, where we're impatient. Lord, you have a sea of patience for us that's for us, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need love. We need that agape love. We don't only have the brotherly love. Help us, Lord. Give it to us. We need it. Lord, we need to forgive the unforgivable. Lord, it's available. Give us the strength and the power to do these things and much more. To bring glory to your name. Heal us, Lord, as a church. Unite us in love. And set us about your mission again. About the lost. About loving one another. About displaying Christ in everything we do and say. Bringing glory to you, Father. So, Lord, as we go today, Lord, pour out your spirit upon this church. And I pray the fruit would just bring you a smile on your face. In the name of Jesus, amen.